may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and I'm here with... Tanya! And... Allie! And the three of us today will be watching a movie called... The Big Sleep. I'm excited! All right, ladies. Which which of you... (laughs) See, you were way smarter than me. You made it funny, and I was just like... (laughs) My usual generic enthusiasm. (laughs) I'm just being a dick. I deserve to be thrown off every once in a while. If she wanted a nice introduction, she would podcast solo. Come on. True. (laughs) (laughs) So, ladies, have either of you seen The Big Sleep before? I have not. (gasps) Oh? Maybe? Maybe? Okay. I mean, I've seen so many of Bacall and Bogart stuff. Yeah. I can't remember. So, if you've seen four of the Bacall and Bogart stuff, you've seen them all. I don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I I can fully understand that because The Big Sleep, for as many times as I've seen it, and I've read the book, I can never remember what the <laughs> hell happens in it, except that it's really fun to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, it's not Key Largo. It's not Key Largo. Like, I know that. It's not like, to have to have not, and it's not Dark Passage. So, I mean, by process I, of elimination, this is the big sleep. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say I will probably get halfway through the movie before I can determine whether or not I okay. remember it. Okay. Sounds about right. Because my brain is Swiss cheese. Yeah. That, yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Swiss cheese is good. It is. It is delicious. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, dear listeners, The Big Sleep is the second of the four Bacall and Bogart movies, and it is uh, 1946. It was actually kind of released in 1945, and then like recut and reshot, and then reassembled and released in 1946 wide. And uh, it is indeed Bogart and Bacall. It was directed by Howard Hawks, who is awesome, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yay! Yay! Fun. It is also based on a Raymond Chandler novel Yay. and features the detective Philip Marlowe, who Yay. we were introduced to last episode. Yay! So we can compare and contrast Dick Powell with Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> which is something uh, I never I expected never to do. Thought we'd say that, right? Wow. Right. Yeah. And and with the following episode, we will be comparing the two of them to Elliot Gould. Yay! This is going to be awesome. Okay, so, uh, dear listeners, find a copy of The Big Sleep, and please feel free to watch it, and we'll have this brief musical interlude, and then we are going to watch the movie, and you should watch the movie, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Woohoo! That sounds like fun. We should do that all the time. Yeah, we should. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) You guys are brilliant. Yes! I'm on my A-game today. Such a sweet, sweet guy was he And her tears flowed like wine Yes, her tears flowed like wine She's a real sad tomato 
She's a busted valentine Knows her mama done told her That a man is darned unkind I'm a-telling you, mister a-telling you, mister. And we are back. So many people have been murdered, so much plot has happened, yet we don't understand anything. Uh, <laughs> so, ladies, what did you think? Well... I still am not entirely sure what happened. I was I was good up until like the first the first half of the movie. I was mm-hmm. I was I was good. I was there. I was like, what are they talking about? I'm following this just fine. Mm-hmm. And then all the wheels came off and I don't know how the <laughs> hell we got to where we did because the motor's not running, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the, the the wheels are gone, we're running on the rims. Um the like how how did this video get from point A to point B? There's nothing that should have gotten us here. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it made sense to somebody who made this film. Yay! Tanya's <laughs> raising her hand. I saw it before, so I remember. Yes. Awesome. But yeah, like I just I found it hard to follow. Mm-hmm. It had it's like very convoluted. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. if I watched it like another couple of times and just focused on the parts where yeah. I'm like just the explanations. I'd probably go, oh, okay, I see what, you know. Yeah, and some see, of it gets lost in uh, uh, Bogart's murmurs for me. Yeah, he, he does eat his words a little. Well, and it's it's not even so much that. I mean, it is definitely partially that. But he also <laughs> has, he has that lovely low voice mm-hmm. where my hearing ranges don't work. <laughs> so right. It's like, mm-hmm. I just need to pitch correct him. Like, okay, you sound like a punk. <laughs> Now I can understand everything you're saying because it's actually registering. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh crap, another dude with a low voice. Shit. <laughs> I just say it's my, my brain built protection in there for having to listen to men. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Sorry, dudes who may be listening. I'm sure you're all wonderful people. <laughs> so, Tanya. Can you explain the plot? Okay, so <laughs> from the beginning, Sean Regan is dead. Yes. Okay. I kind of figured. So as soon as he walks in the house and starts talking to the general, they're talking about Sean Regan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Upon second viewing, this is obvious. Yes. Upon first viewing, it is not. No. Mm-hmm. So basically, everybody is asking him, Find out what happened to Sean Regan without saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what all this, um, the blackmail stuff, all the who killed Geiger stuff, mm-hmm. all that is kind of like accidental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really anybody just wants him to find Sean Regan and nobody's telling him how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, after seeing the last Philip Marlowe, thing Mm -hmm. where it was very much oh i'm learning the thing because i didn't ask the question or whatever yeah like it's very similar to that yeah i had a lot easier time following the previous yeah yeah one maybe just better editing or i don't know i think this is a film that well i'll I'll get into what happened but yes yeah so like it's got okay so the general thinks the way to find sean regan is to go after the 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 blackmailers, the blackmailers slash the gambling people, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the way uh, Warren Bacall wants to find Sean Regan is she well, she's actually the one person who knows where Sean Regan is. Mm-hmm. So her whole point is to 
divert him from actually finding out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the Carmen chick kind of knows that somebody died. Right. But because Geiger gets shot by the in love with her chauffeur. She thinks which, that's what she's remembering. Right. So she's kind of like half in and half out of it. Mm-hmm. And the whole chauffeur killing Geiger thing is technically an accident mm-hmm. that just sort of happens. It's just kind of incidental and mucks everything up. Exactly. And okay, makes now it that makes more so much mm-hmm. more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was nicely, that's why it nicely tied up when the chauffeur yeah. guy went back and shot Brody because he thought Brody was the one mm-hmm. who was going to take the dive for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's kind of like they put this murder mystery and then another murder mystery like it's, walked in on it. Right. It, yeah, it's like a murder in. mystery turducken. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And 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 lots of people not saying things. Just kind mm. of yeah, this one just kind of like wandered in like John Travolta looking lost. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yes. It very much does. And, and it really and it really does. And it, and part of the reason is um Oh goodness, this is a long story. Okay, so um, this movie was was made in like nineteen ninety uh, nineteen ninety four no nineteen forty four nineteen forty five and they finished it, um, and they did a couple of screenings overseas for the soldiers overseas in nineteen forty five, and then um, but the release of this movie got pushed back a year in the United States because suddenly the war ended. And so uh, Warner Brothers wanted to push out all the movies that had wartime themes, you know, just and really And the quick. happy thing and because... The, yeah, and the happy thing and, you know, kind of they kind of sure. restructured their uh, release schedule. Well, one of the movies that got pushed out early and then this one got pushed... This one got pushed out. Uh, the one that got kind of slotted in early was another Lauren Bacall film named um, Confidential Agent, I want to say. I, I don't have it right in front of me. And it tanked. It People, like, hated her performance in oh. it. And so um, suddenly Warner Brothers was really concerned about what would happen with The Big Sleep when it finally uh, came out. So almost a year after this movie wrapped, they went in and put in different scenes and re-edited the oh. movie, including one of the mov- one of the scenes that got cut out, was a scene with Humphrey Bogart explaining what the fuck is going on. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I needed that personally, I know, I just know. for me. I know, right? Like, I mean, I don't know how. how okay, if I were a little sharper, I'm not on my A game right now, listeners. No. Um, if I were a little sharper, maybe I would have held together. No, it took me two times. Really long. Okay. Like, and I'm just I, like, I've read the book and like, it's I just still... feel really dumb that I can't figure out. No, 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 no. It's not you. It's not you. It's not, not you. you. <laughs> and there, and there are a couple of things working with this, this, the re-editing is, um, first of all, the director, Howard Hawks is this, uh, fantastic director who was, um, just kind of this really popular director who was, um, more, into entertaining people than anything else. Mm-hmm. And his big theory about movies was every movie has to have three good scenes and no bad ones. Audiences <laughs> do right. not care about plot as long as they're having enough fun. And so this is the movie that kind of cemented his belief in that. <laughs> he's not he's, he's not, not technically wrong. wrong. He's not technically wrong. I mean, I, I I mean here we are watching this movie. Really good plot. Yeah. And that was enjoyable, but 
I would have been okay with a couple of bad scenes if it would have helped me understand the <laughs> Right? <laughs> right? But, uh, it, so, yeah, that's, that's part of the Howard Hawks thing. And also, the novel itself that this was based on is also super convoluted. There's a story where, uh, 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 <laughs> okay, two of the people working on this script were Leigh Brackett, who, uh, was... He worked on a little thing called Empire Strikes Back, among oh. other things. Oh. Uh, you know, okay. uh, mentored a writer named Bray, Bray Bradbury. She was a pulp writer of science fiction and did a whole bunch of screenplay stuff. Mm. Little person named Leigh Brackett and Nobel Prize winner William Faulkner. Yeah, I was going to say, did I see William Faulkner in it's the credits? William Faulkner. And so they were um, trying to work on the script. And uh, they couldn't figure out who murdered a particular character in the in the book, so they called up Chandler, and Chandler said, the answer's in the book, blah, 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 blah. And they just kind of shrugged and went, oh, all right. And then a few minutes later, he called back and said, I looked at the book, I couldn't figure it out either, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So they just kind of, he just kind of let it up to them to figure it out. <laughs> wow. However, it solved best for the movie. So yeah, it's um, it, it it is <laughs> amazing, kind of amazing. Not even meant to be no. explainable. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but still it is really riveting. It is. It's so yeah, much fun. It was to still watch. really, really enjoyable. Yeah. Even though I was, you know, sitting there going, "Okay, but, but like, okay, that plus that equals." No. <laughs> yeah. What I still don't get is how he's going to get out without going to jail for shooting the bad guy. For mm. shooting the, the guy yeah, over by the fix-it shop. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a hard-boiled time. Well, I suppose. Well, and he's, he's, he's also, also got friends in the cops. Well, he's also got her no. to corroborate, you know, right, well, dude had true. a gun. Yeah. And he was going to shoot him first. That's so. true. You know, but still, and like, I, th- it's I like think he's sketchy. I think in the book it's actually explained he still has a badge. Oh, so which is interesting because um, okay, so the cars in the film, you know, since this was filmed during wartime, you can see the the stickers on the windshields, like yeah. the, the B. Um, the what B was, was that? Um, that would would have been like 1944. They were ra- rationing gas, oh. and uh, so B was like the the second to bottom level, which means like the, the holder of that uh, ration card only got like eight gallons per week. Wow. And so he, clearly in this film, Bogart runs over that in like 72 hours. But, but yeah, but you know, technically with a badge, he would have had one that was an X, which is unlimited, which oh. was what was on police cars. But uh, maybe he was disguising it because an ex would have been really noticeable because that mm. not many people had them. I wonder, and, I wonder or, if they just changed it. I don't, I don't know. Because don't know. because in the movie they said he has a license. They didn't say he has a badge. I thought mm. they said something about a deputy badge. Well, he's he was deputized. But okay, yeah. okay. I wasn't sure what that... Because I know, I know in to, that be a, to be a dick, you had to have a license that right. says you're allowed right. to like carry your gun and often right. investigate stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know they threatened to take that away, but I right. didn't think he had a badge badge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it was one of those dudes <laughs> mumbling shit when they put this, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, you, God you, damn it, you guys, speak the fuck up. <laughs> you know who I really feel bad for? Hmm. Jonesy. 
Yeah. yeah. He did everything I mean, right. He did everything right, and Agnes was such a... Mm. <laughs> Although, I really did enjoy Second Bookstore Girl. Oh, God, she's great. She I want so a movie great. with her, her and Bogart. Oh, yeah. yes. Because... <laughs> and, and, and Cabbie Girl. And Cabbie... Why? Yeah, Cabby I would, no, no, no. Forget it. Forget Bogart. Take him out of the picture. Yeah, Cabby I want Girl. Cabby yes, Girl. Yes. I want that movie. Oh, that would be hot, right? <laughs> like, that oh yeah, would be the best. And she would take her glasses off, but without the the glasses shaming that Bogart mm-hmm. did. Right. No, she would take the glasses off, and and Cabby Girl would be like, "If you need those, put them back on." She'd be like, "Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, done." <laughs> so, so Bookshop Girl is Dorothy Malone. Okay. Who um, was also in a little movie called Written on the Wind, which was directed by Douglas Sirk. And I know most people probably haven't seen that movie these days, but oh my god, it. Written on the Wind is one of the most deliciously trashy soap opera movies is, ever. Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, that sounds is awesome. Is that the one where the dude lives in the guest garage? Mm-mm. No, okay. No, there, it's a, it's like a... It's it's very soap opera y. It, it well, also it's cirque. It, yeah, it's very it's very very cirque. This is the cirkiest cirque that ever cirked, and it uh, it's it's got Lauren Bacall in it as well. Uh, but Dorothy Malone plays the the wild child, and, Ooh, and she's like fun. the uh, the 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 wild young lady who goes off and and uh, you know uh, does you know boogie dancing and whatever. And <laughs> yes, you do. But she won an Oscar for that role. Oh, nice. And so she always kind of had this career of bombshells. And uh, so, yeah, the uh, that was that was her in a very early role. And she was actually so nervous they had to weight the glass to make sure that her it hands wouldn't... didn't shake. <laughs> McCall had the same problem. She was also very nervous on in her early screen roles. And so they had to kind of... That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, there was also extra stuff happening with this movie because um, the first movie that uh, Bacall and Bogart appeared in was To Have and To Have Not, which was mm-hmm. a couple of years prior to this. And then, so they did this, and by this time, uh, Bacall and Bogart were having an affair. I was going to say, they were banging. They were the, banging. By, by the time they were at this movie. They were banging, and uh, uh, Bogart's marriage, current marriage at the time was falling apart and he was drinking and like drinking so badly like early days they couldn't film because he was so drunk they had to limit him to like one beer a day uh, Howard Hawks who discovered uh, Lauren Bacall really did not approve of this he was like trying to set her up with he and his wife were like trying to set her up with like Clark Gable it's like no not not Boger no <laughs> honey honey no. honey 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 honey, honey no <laughs> let's introduce you to somebody nicer <laughs> yeah. wow. and then, you know less less married think, you know, I don't know. well man <laughs> Not saying they were right. He had a reputation. Yes. yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at at least this way we got the Rad Pack. Right. True. Very true. Very true. Very true. So, you know, but, you know, about three months after this movie um, uh, wrapped, you know, the first time, uh, (laughs) by that time, Bogart was divorced and uh, he and uh, Lauren Bacall got married, so... And the rest is history, as so they say. But there was a lot of kind of turmoil yeah. in that way happening on the film. But apparently, otherwise, they were having a lot of fun. Like, everybody on the movie shoot was just having a fucking blast. To the point where uh, 
Jack Warner of Warner Brothers yeah. Studios sent in a memo that said, I, I hear you're having a lot of fun. Please stop that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Stupid corporate office. God dang it. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Well, you can tell the tension, though. Oh, yeah. Between McCall and Bogart. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> Uh, also, the, there are two characters named Sydney and Pete. It's a reference to Sydney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie from. <laughs> wow! I didn't from catch Maltese that. Falcon. Uh, I thought that his name was Sydney, but I didn't catch the re- that. Yeah, that was Pete. a reference. That's nice. amazing. Yeah, so cute. Um, <clears throat> so going back to the writers, I think that the writing of this film was really exceptional, just because. Um, well, at least the story of the writing of the yeah. film is really exceptional because, because you know, first of all, it's Leigh Brackett who is a very interesting woman, uh, and like I said, you know, she had a long career uh, working w- specifically with Howard Hawks. She also worked on like, a, um, uh, what is it, Real Lo- Real Lobo? I think it was. Uh, okay. H- Howard Hawks made like three versions of the same western. There was Rio Bravo, uh, El Dorado, and there was one other, and they Real were all the, essentially the exact same movie, yeah. and they were all delightful and fun to watch. But uh, she worked on those, and um, the, the two of them worked together as writers until uh, I can't remember who died first. Like one died in 1977, one died in 1978. But oh, wow. Yeah, they had long careers. Were they banging? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Nice. But how Howard Hawks liked her writing because, quote, she wrote like a man. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, Hawks is kind of this Hemingway-esque sort of figure. That doesn't make and, it better. And I'm not saying it's better. I'm just explaining what it what it was. I she, understand. It, uh, you know, uh, Leigh Brackett was working in an industry where yeah, she uh, had writers to. were pretty much all male you know not just in the film industry but also science fiction Mm -hmm. yeah and uh so she but she was very notable for um like there were uh some lines that uh that bogart thought were like too genteel for him as (laughs) as malone or or as a philip marlowe to say and so he assumed that it was like Brackett who wrote them because she's a woman and she he went to her for rewrites and she goes no no howard hawks wrote those and then she proceeded to rewrite those lines to be like (laughs) super hard boiled (laughs) nice and so that that's kind of what she was known for she just had this very kind of macho sort of manner to her writing ah mm-hmm. because gendered things are things <laughs> gendered things are things they are definitely things <laughs> uh there was one other uh writer i should say that who worked on this movie and i don't know much about him but his name was jules firthman who um he started in Goodness, I think he's, he even started in the silent era, but he also worked on Rio Bravo and Mutiny on the Bounty and To Haven't Had Not Have Not and Nightmare Alley. Which we have seen. Yes. We know that one. Yes, we do know. Um, that was the Nightmare one where what's his name was not a hobo, right? Yes. Yes, not a hobo. Callback! <laughs> 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 where where the, the drink will we remember things. Where the drink will turn you into a geek. <laughs> <laughs> and two lights. <laughs> So yeah, so sad. <laughs> okay, let's see who who else is in this. Oh, uh, Martha Vickers, 
is uh, the woman who played Carmen Sternwood. <clears throat> and mm. she came out of Universal Studios. She started out doing some of their like lower level horror films. Okay. Uh, like uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is one sure, of the sure. ones that she was in. <clears throat> but then uh, after that, Archeo picked her up, didn't do much with her. And then Warner Brothers picked picked her up and then put her in the big sleep. And that kind of exploded her career for well, uh, anything would explode so. after that walk down the stairs. Oh, yeah, it's like, hot damn. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I didn't need half a movie to recognize it. I needed those shorts and her legs walking down the stairs. Right. And I was like, I've seen this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, my, my yeah. Very, the very first words out of my mouth as we were watching this movie is, I want her outfit. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, the only time I uttered that in that in this film. Yeah. Like, that's odd for a film of this era. That's true. For me. Like, yeah. Usually yeah. I'm like, I want that outfit and that outfit that outfit. I, maybe I, I was just... wondering if you were feeling well. I know you're not. Right, right. <laughs> no, I think, I think what it was is there was just too much plaid. No, I like plaid. I just, I think Bacall's style in this film was not my style. Yeah. Mm, it looked very nice on I her. I mean, she, she oh, looked they great. Weren't tailored, but, they but they were, weren't the things I would wear they myself. They were all suits. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. was fantastic. She was completely, like, bitten until... Yeah. The two dresses where she wasn't was the one where she's singing. Yep, I love in the okay. bar, which that is I would have liked. Mm-hmm. And then the one at the end where it's got that mm-hmm. little—it's just the little applique on yep. on the shoulder, but it's all black. Mm-hmm. And like aside from those, she's literally very conservative. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like like I said, looks great on her, but it, it, there was nothing that made me go, "Oh, the costuming this and yeah. is so great." And, yeah. But in, on the same token, that does mean the costuming was so great. Yes. Because right, because we're not sitting there going, ew, or, or oh. ew. Well, and I'm not going, oh, sequins. Like, it's not pulling me yeah. away from what's happening. Right. Um, people are wearing clothes. Like, I wonder if that's, that's because there was thing. so much happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that could be. There is that. And there was... In which fortu- case, again, oh. good costume. Right, exactly. it's not supposed to. Quite fortunately, nothing to pull me away mm-hmm. from what the heck is going on. You know, it still didn't help me understand it better, but you know... <laughs> Well, when you watch it again, yeah, yeah, you can pay more attention to the clothes. That's right. I go, mm, I still don't get it. I like those buttons. Those are nice <laughs> buttons. <laughs> Actually, the dude, the general's little like wheelchair suit was yeah. very, very. Oh yeah, he had a yeah. nice lapel. Uh huh kind of ascot thing. There's actually a movie that Lauren Bacall was in. I think it's called Harper. It was in the 1960s where she actually plays a. God, was it? She was a businesswoman or something, but she was also like wheelchair bound as a reference to this movie. Oh, wow. So she was basically playing General Sternwood. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh, yeah. There's also um, in Halloween, now I think about it, the John Carpenter's Halloween, uh, there is a sheriff named Sheriff Lay Brackett. Named oh, I didn't after... recognize that. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, so neat. Yay, lay bracket. I'm just so happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. What what else do I know about this movie? There's so much about this movie. Um, let's see. Howard Hawks. Uh, since we haven't watched a Howard Hawks movie yet on this podcast. Uh, Howard Hawks was... Uh, he, he started out as... Um, 
well, he was the son of this rich family from Indiana, and then they, you know, like, moved to Wisconsin, and then they moved to California, and uh, they pretty much bought him whatever he wanted, you know. <laughs> so by the time World War One rolled around, he was, like, a professional race car driver and an aviator. So he joined the war as an aviator in France, and then when uh, Armistice came around, he... Um, I think, I think then he went to, no, before, before the war, he was in college and, uh, yeah, he went to Cornell for mechanical engineering and like in summers, he'd go back to LA and he'd work in movie studios all summer as like a prop master and and stuff. So, um, he built a set for Douglas Fairbanks. Nice. At at one point, and then that's like launched his career. Because when you make Douglas yeah, Fairbanks happy, yeah. things happen for you. So uh, he had a good start, and then then World War One came around, and then he came back, and uh, he eventually landed at Paramount, and he worked his way up through the ranks. So he was, uh, you know, you know, from everywhere doing engineering stuff up to screenwriter, and um, as a his first job at Paramount as a screenwriter, they told him to come up with 40 storylines in 60 days. Damn. And he just was cranking them out. This is still in the silent era. Wow. <laughs> so he's just cranking them out. Um, he worked on like 60 some odd films in that era. And finally, um, he wanted to try directing, but Paramount wasn't letting him. So Fox stepped in and hired him <laughs> away from Paramount and uh, gave him his first directing job, which was The Road to Glory. And you know, history was made. By the time 1932 rolled around, he, he knew a, a fellow aviator named uh, Howard Hughes. I was going to say, there was a Howard convention. Yeah, they, there was a, yeah, the Howard things. And he made a little movie called Scarface. With and that really cemented his fame because that was a huge hit. It, w- it was um, pre-haze. It's really pretty... Mm. brutally violent people took notice <laughs> and uh very famous film it, it it's it's a great gangster movie and so after that he just went on to make things like bringing up baby Yay! his girl friday um as i've mentioned rio bravo which is really one of the great westerns gentlemen prefer blondes Yay! and i was a mill war bride Yay! yes <laughs> but uh Hawks was always very involved in the productions. He was always involved in the writing, uh, like he was here. And um, one of his trademarks is um, a lot of the women in his movies are like just, quote, one of the guys. So it, like His Girl Friday, you see mm-hmm. that. And Bringing Up Baby, Catherine mm-hmm. Hepburn's a very atypical woman. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's, it's always interesting watching his movies for... A lot of those reasons. Also, one of his big trademarks, which was really rare at the time, was this rapid-fire overlapping dialogue. Mm-hmm. People weren't, like, you up until he started working, you know, the lines happen here, and then there's a break, and then somebody else speaks. And he started using that more naturalistic sort of overlapping dialogue, and it, you know... Well, Eventually, can, other people started picking up. Well, on and it. you can definitely tell it in the Bacall Bogart scene oh, yeah. at the beginning where mm-hmm. they first meet because they're ta- constantly interrupting each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, there is 
the editor who worked on this movie, and I'm blanking on his name, is the guy who eventually went on to direct a Thing from Another World. Oh, okay. The, you know, the thing. That, right, right, and, right. And um, it was often thought that Howard Hawks actually was like a ghost director oh, on that nice. because there was a lot of overlapping dialogue. And it, eventually, you know, like in the 70s, it was revealed that, yeah, he had a pretty heavy hand in helping develop that movie too. Cool. So, yeah. yeah very interesting career there. And he he died one day after Charlie Chaplin died. Aww. It was it was a sad week. Well, let's see. What else do we know? Um, well, I mean, yeah. when you when you're talking about the way the women in his movies were quote unquote one of the guys, mm-hmm. I liked the way that in this movie there wasn't anything like, oh, you're a woman, you shouldn't be right gambling or right. like that wasn't even an issue mm-hmm. it was just oh you have gambling debts yeah. yeah so like it could have been a son with gambling debts right and aside from like the racy picture or whatever that i'm mm-hmm. assuming was what the oh. blackmail was showing oh yeah and, and like all that stuff's from the book too <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like that's that's kind of it in thinking back at it on it i can't <laughs> talk <laughs> um, you know, like from 15 minutes ago mm-hmm. when we were watching it, like thinking back on it, yeah, it was there. There wasn't at all like, oh, and and what's her name? Her husband. Like there was no yeah. question of like, are you still married? Where's yeah. your husband? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just the. It didn't take no, but she keeps his name and nobody says anything about. Well, why I didn't she even go back hear that husband? it didn't mm-hmm. take. Oh yeah, that that was yeah. a very brief thing about. Uh, well, does Carmen get along with her sister? You know. Right. I I know she was married and it didn't take. And like, that's it. So we know she's Mrs. Rutledge, but only because she didn't change her name back. Right. Yeah. And like, and that was, and like, you don't even think about that. Yeah. Like, which was, I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was, there was no, why don't you go back to your husband or anything like that, which you normally, or like, there's usually some round or something. Yeah. There's usually some line in there somewhere, Mm -hmm. especially when a woman has the title of Mrs. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, yeah, go home, go home to your husband, you know, go make, go make dinner for your husband. Well, and like, it wasn't even a, like, he, he kissed her without thinking about it. Yeah. And like, usually there's a discussion of, oh, well, how, what will your husband think about right. this or whatever? Because like, your femme fatale can totally do that. Right. And get away with it, but they at least talk about it. And yeah. in this movie, they didn't even, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder how, how much of that is also like, play brackets in influence on right. it and you know some of it's also you know chandler was for all of his you know the, the doll walked down the, yeah, but, the I mean, stairs and still her... fairly progressive <clears throat> storyline yeah. wise and yeah you know the the women were just as deadly as the men yeah. and, and that sort of thing um yeah so there's there's a whole confluence of things and the the reason that how howard hawks wound up doing this movie in the first place is that uh jack warner of warner brothers gave him like fifty thousand dollars to purchase <laughs> Uh, the rights to a Chandler book because Hawks really wanted to do one. And sure. Hawks had enough stature at this point in time as a director that he was pretty much calling the shots in his own career. Oh, nice. And he was one of the first directors to do that because he he basically... Before DeMille? Well, kind of... he. Hawks actually formed his own production company oh, nice. and then offered his services to the highest ah. bidder. So that was kind of the new sure. thing. Okay. And so um, he got $50,000 from Warner Brothers to uh, purchase the rights to this Chandler book that he wanted to do. And so he paid Chandler like $5,000 and pocketed the rest. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the, 
So, I mean, Damn. part of it's choice of material and, and, and what you do with it, right? Wow. <laughs> yep. Yep. What a sneaky motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This movie costs a lot of damn money, Warner. It's fine. <laughs> you took care of it. Thanks. It, it apparently, the, the movie, it's, uh, the first time it was filmed, <laughs> um, the movie like finished like 34 days over schedule. Oh, but what they did was um, when they started going over schedule, they started pairing, they started furiously rewriting the script again. And um, like, Paring down the sets that they needed, <laughs> and so as so the less time they kept various sets open on the studio, they had to pay less and less, and uh, so they kept paring it down so that even though it went like three, four days over schedule, it was only like fifteen thousand dollars over budget. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, so that's they, a, well, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, a little bit of gaming the system there. <laughs> yeah, it it it's an interesting movie, and I. I find it so baffling. It's so entertaining, and I don't under. I, I, I oh God, the plot. <laughs> <laughs> Just know, what's his name was always dead. Yes, Regan was always dead. Yeah, Re- Regan was uh, throughout the entire length of this movie laying at the bottom of an oil well. Is that where he was? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what had happened to him. I just do it. Yeah, no, dead. it's. Um, I, I, that's I know he's dead. I have no idea why. I mean, I kind of know why, but you I know, think Morris just didn't like him. Well, I do have because he was in love with he was in love with Lauren Bacall. Regan and Lauren Bacall were totally in love. I got that the first time I saw the movie. If you want, I did write down a <gasps> quote summary Please, of the book. How long is it? It's. <laughs> I, you know what, I did an impressive job cutting it down. Okay. So the two, the two front running things I'm going to point out that the, the movie doesn't really specifically state, but are big drivers in the book is that, um, Carmen's a nymphomaniac, like clinically a nymphomaniac and, uh, she shot Regan, Regan and dumped him in an oil well. Okay. Okay. And the other thing is that Geiger ran a porn business using the bookstore as a cover. Ah, ah, that's what the... I thought it was a gambling business. I, I think there's the some gambling in there, too. More sense. Yeah. yeah. But here's here's the summary of the book. General Sternwood hires Marlowe to, quote, take care of Geiger, a homosexual pornographer who has been blackmailing the general with naked photos of his daughter, Carmen. General Sternwood also mentions the disappearance of his ex-bootlegger son-in-law, Rusty Reagan, who has been married to the general's eldest daughter, Vivian. Marlowe stakes out Geiger's bookshop, which turns out to be a pornography racket. After finding Geiger, Marlowe follows him to his house and hides outside, where he sees Carmen go inside Geiger's house. There is a flash and a scream, which turns out to be a camera flash, and Carmen's reaction to it. Then there are gunshots... Gummin run on the house. Marlowe goes in, sees Carmen is naked and high as a kite. Geiger is dead at her feet, and the plate holder of the camera is missing. So photos were taken right. and and taken away. Uh, later, Taylor, the Stonewood, Sternwood's chauffeur, is found dead in the ocean. Marlowe later finds out that Taylor was in love with Carmen, and that it was Taylor who killed Geiger in retaliation for the naughty pictures of Carmen. Then another character, Brody, appears and he is promptly murdered. 
Brody and Agnes have been plotting to take over Geiger's porn racket. Brody is also in possession of the photos, which he uses to bribe Carmen's sister for money. But then later, when Marlowe tries to get the photos from Brody, Brody is murdered by Carol Lundgren, Geiger's homosexual lover, because Lundgren thinks Brody killed Geiger. Uh, Lundgren uh. is imprisoned for the murder, Agnes is released from custody, and Marlowe gets the photograph. That was that That guy. makes sense now. Yeah. Who was his quote-unquote chauffeur? Mm-hmm. His shadow. The his shadow. shadow. Yes. yes. The shadow. Uh, Marlowe starts investigating Rusty Regan's whereabouts. Meanwhile, he realizes he is being followed by a man in a gray sedan who has information about where Mona Grant, Eddie Mars's wife, is being kept in a hideout. Marlowe finds out that Mona has not actually run away from Regan. Instead, her husband has kept her in hiding for his for his own protection to keep everyone thinking that Regan is alive and has run off with Mona. Then the man in the sedan gets murdered. You know, as you do. Poor Jonesy. Marlowe goes in to find Mona. He arrives at her hiding place where he is beaten by Canino and then handcuffed. Then Marlowe makes out with Mona for a while, who then <laughs> helps Marlowe escape from his ropes. And then she helps him kill Camino. Marlowe then returns to Carmen's... Uh, sorry. Marlowe then returns Carmen's gun to her, who then uh, turns her gun on Marlowe. But then Marlowe has loaded the gun with blanks. Hooray! He then figures out that Carmen killed Regan and that Vivian paid Canino to hide the body. Regan has thus been dead the entire time, laying at the bottom of an oil well. Huh. That's some interesting changes they made there. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're they're squishing Bacall in yeah. to the Mona part, mm-hmm. and yeah. the elder. See, and I well, knew I think, there was a thing with her and Regan. Well, yeah, yeah, and I and I think the um, I mean, part of it is just streamlining the the characters in, mm-hmm. and also trying to capitalize on the kind of the, the chemistry between Bacall, Bacall and Bogart. Bogart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the previous movie went over really, really well. Because, because to have, it's amazing. Yeah, because To Have and To Have Not is the movie with that line, uh, it, do you know how to whistle, Steve? Just <laughs> put your lips together, together and blow, blow. Which is like one of the most sultriest things ever sultried on screen. It was a huge hit. So, you know, part of the rewrites that happened a year later were to put more things like that into mm-hmm. this movie. Particularly the talk about the horses. That was all new. So, like, they were married by that time that they were filming the, the scene. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It's... I want more uh, Lauren McCall singing. Yeah. 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 And that actually was her singing. There's, like, a rumor that it wasn't actually her singing. No, it was her. actually her. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a nice alto. We need more yeah. altos. Yeah, definitely. Alto power. Altos! Altos! <laughs> I'm a tenor. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Either way, none of us have Disney princesses. That's true. in our that's range. True. No. Nope. Nope. So that's about all I've got. Uh, final thoughts, ladies? Uh, I feel like I should watch this again after I've had surgery. Oh, and I'm yeah. on the good drugs. Ooh, it yeah. might make more sense then. Well, I can, I, can, I can leave the DVD here and you can enjoy it. I like this plan. All right. Yay! Awesome. awesome. This is actually the uh, favorite movie of my husband's parents. Oh. 
They actually gave me this DVD. That's oh, nice. Sweet. It was very sweet of them. Along with a copy of the book. It's like, yes, I know this movie very well. Have you read the book? Do you actually understand the plot? Here's the book. <laughs> That's helpful. That, that actually makes sense. Yeah. You know. Those are some good in-laws. Yeah, they are. They nice. are. The, the book, by the way, dear listeners, if, if you ever want to just plunge straight into the deep end of the noirious noir that ever noired in, in book form, it is, it is just like line after line of just Chandlerisms. <laughs> it's amazing. I may have to visit a library. <laughs> yep. It's not very long either. It's a quick oh, read. It's cool. It's a very quick read. Tanya, did you have final thoughts? Um, go watch the movie mm. if you haven't already. It's very pretty. It, this oh. one's so easy to get your hands on. Shame on you if you haven't watched it. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh, it's just like, oh, yay. Yay. It's very yay. <laughs> and, and don't worry about the plot. Yeah, don't worry about the just, plot. Just know people are killing people. It's and like, that's whose fine. line is it anyway? The, the, the <laughs> points don't matter. The plot doesn't matter. The plot doesn't matter. <laughs> It, people get murdered. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just well, know there are guns. The doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. everyone has a gun. Everybody's got a gun. Mm-hmm. Except for the old guy. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably he, has... he had one at one point. Yeah, he probably did. Well, he, he was a general. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put your gun in an orchid, people. Don't it's not. No. 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 Not good for your gun Ma- or the orchid. Or the orchid. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, dear listeners, please join us next time on Real Education Noir when we watch a movie called The Long Goodbye. Yay! Yay! Which will be the third in our little Philip Marlowe trilogy here. So I have been Melissa, and I have been joined by... Allie. And... Tanya! And the three of us will uh, talk at you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye! Bye! We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Thank you for joining us for a real education noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. You can find our podcasts and social media feeds on our website at realedunoir.com. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at realedu.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. You like orchids? Not particularly. Nasty things. Their flesh is too much like the flesh of men. Their perfume has the rotten sweetness of corruption.